Today on the Matt Wall Show, the holy month of Pride Month begins today, and we're kicking off by uh, waging an all-out assault on gender ideology with my new film, which premieres tonight. We'll talk about all of that today. Also, the White House responds to the various crises plaguing the nation by inviting the Korean pop group BTS to the press briefing, plus a female inmate who fears for her life after being locked in prison with biological males speaks out. Her story is uh, truly just outrageous and terrifying. And J.D. Vance earns rid ridicule from the left for making some very correct observations about pornography. And in our daily cancellation, yet another Hollywood actress is traumatized because a few people online criticized her, if you can imagine it. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. Well, it's time, parents, time to finally cross off one of the most important things on your to-do list, which is life insurance. Fabric makes getting a great term life insurance policy for your family quick, easy, and surprisingly affordable. Fabric was built specifically for parents to help you manage your family's financial future like a parenting pro stress-free. Fabric's new lower prices mean significant savings over other providers with great policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Everything is on your schedule with Fabric because it's all online. Less than 10 minutes to apply, and you can be offered coverage instantly with no health exam required. Then you just personalize your quote to fit your family's needs as easy as that. With Fabric's online hub, it's easy to track your family finances all in one place, get affordable life insurance, set up your kid's college savings plan, and even establish a rainy day savings fund. Planning for the future has never been easier than this. There's no risk to apply today. Fabric has a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. Protect your family with term life insurance now in just 10 minutes. Apply today at meetfabric.com slash Walsh. That's meetfabric.com slash Walsh to start protecting your family today. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash Walsh. Fabric insurance agency policies issued by Vantis Life, not available in New York and Montana. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Today, June 1st, kicks off our culture's holiest and most sacred month, a month which, as it has been decreed by every Fortune 500 corporation, including the Fortune 500 corporation known as the U.S. government, must be set aside to celebrate several of the deadliest sins, in particular pride. It is a Pride Month, of course. We we used to have pride parades, which would you know hope, which would happen on certain days. You'd have like a pride event, but that wasn't enough. So they came up with Pride Day, and that wasn't enough. So they declared Pride Week, and that wasn't enough. So then we had Pride Month, but that also was not enough. Which is why Pride Month is but one occasion on the calendar set aside for the noble royalty in the LGBT kingdom. There are many other days as well. Indeed, every month features at least one holy day of LGBT observation. The Biden administration kicked things off today by unfurling a pride flag over the U.S. Embassy in Vatican City. Uh, they still don't have enough pride to do the same thing over our embassies in, say, Saudi Arabia or Pakistan. Well, that's not completely true, actually. The U.S. Embassy in Pakistan did, in fact, hold a pride event back in 2011 under Obama. But the Muslim population in the country protested back in 2011, calling the event, quote, cultural terrorism and condemning the LGBT community as, quote, and I'm quoting, a curse of society and social garbage. The U.S. Embassy in Pakistan has been a little less vocal about gay pride ever since. But here at home, the government is loud and proud and brave. Biden issued a proclamation today declaring, quote, this month we celebrate generations of LGBTQI plus people who have fought to make the possibilities of our nation real for every American. He then veered into uh, even more fantasy, claiming, Today, the rights of LGBTQI plus Americans are under relentless attack. Members of the LGBTQI plus community, especially people of color and trans people, 
continue to face discrimination and cruel, persistent efforts to undermine their human rights. An onslaught of dangerous anti-LGBTQI plus legislation has been introduced and passed in states across the country, targeting transgender children and their parents and interfering with their access to health care. These unconscionable attacks have left countless LGBTQI plus families in fear and pain. We keep hearing about anti-LGBT legislation, yet nobody ever provides an example of such legislation. All they can do is speak generally about it or else um, invent specific bills, you know, ones that they invent like the Don't Say Gay Bill, which doesn't actually exist. But never do they point to the actual language of an actual piece of legislation in an actual American state to prove that there is anti-LGBT conspiracy. You'll notice that. They never, there's, they, they never quote any of these bills directly. And that's because there is no such conspiracy. LGBT people have uh, no persecution. They face no persecution in this country. Uh, they face the opposite of persecution. In fact, the modern American LGBT person, if he conforms ideologically to the left-wing doctrines of the day, which is always the qualifier here, but if he does, then he will be by far and away the most privileged sort of American to ever exist. Because there's never been a group as relentlessly coddled, pampered, complimented, elevated, fawned over, and supported as LGBT people in modern America. And yet, leftism anchors itself on the victim hierarchy, which means that it must always be fighting against this imaginary victimization, but it can never succeed in actually stopping the victimization or even improving the situation slightly. Can't do that. This is one of the great leftist ironies. The whole thing falls apart if they ever admit that they've succeeded in doing any of the things they're supposedly trying to do. If they say, well, uh, you know, we fought to make LGBT people more accepted in society, and clearly we succeeded, so good for us. If they do that, then they'll have nothing left to do or say, and they'll watch themselves evaporate into vapor. So they must always fight for this acceptance, and yet by their own telling, continually lose. They will become impotent if they don't pretend that they are impotent. It's a very confused situation. And perhaps that's what this month ought to be called instead, actually. Confusion month, not pride month. And it is that confusion which will be exposed tonight with the premiere, finally, of our film, What is a Woman? We held off releasing the film so that we could coincide its premiere with the start of Pride Month, which is just the sort of petty and trolling move that you've come to expect and love from me, uh, or at least expect anyway. I don't know about love. There's nothing petty about the film, though, despite its origins. Uh, the truth is that, you know, the film did begin with a tweet. Four years ago, I put out the question out into the world on Twitter, what is a woman? Because it occurred to me that the statement, I identify as a woman, doesn't mean anything if the person making the statement or the people telling us to take the statement seriously aren't able to define the thing that the person is identifying as. So I posed the question to the left. They didn't answer, so I kept tweeting it. Uh, and uh, they didn't answer that, so I wrote articles about it. I gave speeches about it. I talked about it on my show, and still I couldn't get an answer. And I had at that point a choice. One option was simply to let it go, but I can't let anything go. And so I took the second option, which is this film. And when, when we set out to ask this question and um, in the process explore the darkest depths of gender ideology, the truth is that I didn't know you know, exactly what would happen. All I knew is that if we're making a film out of this, 
I didn't want, we didn't want it to be just your standard right-wing documentary. We're not interested in bringing a bunch of people I agree with into a room, asking them questions just so they could give me an answer that I could have said myself, and then slap a bunch of narration on top of it. If that's how we were going to approach the film, we may as well not approach it at all. We knew that we had to go out and put ourselves into the middle of the madness. We had to actually pursue answers. We had to talk to people we don't already agree with. We had to take some risks, perhaps even put ourselves in some unsafe situations here and there. Um, that's the only way to tell this story. And if we were going to get answers, it was the only way to get them. And our journey took us all over the country and beyond, which you'll see tonight. As you've heard, we even went to Africa, deep into Kenya, down into the, uh, into the bush to speak to the Maasai tribe. And our reason for talking to the Maasai tribe was, was really threefold. One, we wanted to test the leftist claim that the gender binary is a Western construct. Um, you can't get more non-Western than the Maasai tribe. And if the man-woman distinction is a Western social construct, which is what the left says, they say that uh, the idea that you know men have penises, women have vaginas, that's a social, it's like a Western colonialist idea. That's what they say. And if that's the case, then surely the Maasai tribe will have an entirely different way of thinking about gender. And two, if it turns out that the Maasai actually do believe that sex is binary, then we wanted to see what it would be like to try to explain these progressive ideas about gender to people who have no frame of reference for them. Sometimes that's the best way to find out if an idea is totally incoherent. And three, we went because we thought it would be really funny. That's, you know, actually, that might be the first reason and all the other ones, but still, those are the reasons. How did it all work out? Well, I have a short clip of that exchange, actually, which uh, I'm finally allowed to play for you, and we'll do that right now. Check it out. What if a man decides that his, his gender identity is, is woman? A woman has its own duty, and a man has its own duty, and a lady cannot duty the duty of a man, and a man cannot do a duty of a woman. Can a man become a woman? No. No? No. What about a transgender? Transgender? No. No? It look like to, if you want to become a lady but you're a man, you have something wrong in something your wrong. mind. Something wrong in your family, something wrong in you. What about if someone was non-binary? Come again? Non-binary? Uh-huh. Do you know? Like non like uh, someone is, is uh, you're not a woman, you're not a man. Yeah, someone's like someone is, is neither. There's something else. Is that he's saying we have never seen things like those. For a man, he has a penis, for a woman, he has a vagina. So we know this is a lady, this is a man. What if it's a woman with a what if it's a woman with a penis? Both? <laughs> People are laughing. Is that, is that a dumb question? 
The transphobia there is just shocking. And there's much more where that came from. But as you can see from that snippet, um, it is gender ideology, not the gender binary, which is a Western construct. The tribesmen say that transgender people have something wrong in their heads and their families. Uh, that's what they said, you know, don't shoot the messenger. They get kicked off YouTube for talking like that if they had YouTube or the internet or electricity. They get doxxed for such talk if they had fixed addresses and weren't nomadic. They get fired from their jobs if they had jobs. But they have none of those things. They exist outside the modern Western bubble completely. And it's a very different world out there, as we discovered. We discovered much more in our film. And in keeping with Pride Month, I can say that um, I'm uh, very proud of the film. We, we gave a year of our lives to this project. At the end of it all, I think I can say that it was worth it. And you can see for yourself, but you have to be a Daily Wire member. So go to whatiswoman.com, get ready for the premiere tonight. And, um, and the final thing I'll say is to the leftists who are already quite upset about this film, and they've been trying to deplatform me and get me kicked off of everything. And uh, I don't know if they'll succeed in doing that or not. Um, and they're doing all this even though they haven't even seen the film yet. But to them, all I can say is, you should have just responded to my tweet. I gave you a chance to answer my question. You ignored me. And now look at what you've done. This is all your fault. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, you know, scammers are always looking to uh, rain on everybody's parade and take advantage even of happy occasions like uh, celebrations for grads and dads are the perfect setup for e-card scammers. If you click on one of these fake e-cards sent via email, um, it could install malware, steal your information, add pop-up ads, or trick you into buying something, which by the way, if you're a dad and your kid's sending you an e-card on through email, then that's just, that's, that's reason enough not to, even if it's real, don't open it anyway, just out of principle. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Your personal information gets exposed so often, making it dangerously easy for a cyber criminal to steal your identity. Protecting your identity can, can be easy, though, with LifeLock by Norton. LifeLock detects and alerts you to potential identity threats you may not spot on your own, like crimes committed by thieves pretending to be you. If you do become a victim of identity theft, a dedicated U.S.-based Restoration specialists will um, fix that problem for you. Nobody can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but it's easy to help protect yourself with LifeLock. Identity theft protection starts here. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year at LifeLock.com Walsh. That's LifeLock.com Walsh for 25% off. All right, well, with everything going on in the world, the Biden administration is uh, on top of its game as always, okay, they've got things under control. You might be a little bit worried because of all these various crises that we're uh, that we're that we're facing, and uh, but but the good news is that the Biden administration is here, okay. They're they're on the scene, they're in charge, and they're making sure that all this is taken care of. Okay, we are in good hands, and that's why yesterday they had the Korean pop group BTS at the White House for uh, for a press briefing. Why did they bring a Korean pop group in? Well, then we'll listen to uh, the new White House Press Secretary, Karen Jean-Pierre, explain why. Listen. 
The president has led a historic whole-of-government approach to combat racism, xenophobia, and tolerance intolerance facing ANHPI communities. Beginning his first week in office when he issued a presidential memorandum leveraging the power of the federal government to stand against this hate. The president also signed the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act into law, signed an executive order to reestablish the White House initiative on Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders, and funded critical research to prevent and address xenophobia against AA and NHPI communities. What was that? A-A-N-H-P-I? They're just throwing random letters in there now. Um, but this is, so this is about ending um, anti-Asian hate crimes and violence against Asian Americans. Now, that actually is a problem. In, uh, that, that is a real problem we can add to the list of all of our other problems. And uh, it's a problem that, yeah, the, the people in charge should be talking about. In fact, there was um, just a few days ago, there was, I believe this is in New York City, there was a, another video of a, an Asian man being you know, hor- horrifically assaulted and brutalized um, on, you know, while waiting for uh, the, the train. And so that a lot of this kind of thing is happening in our cities. But, but here's, here's the problem. It's that um, I'm not really interested in, in hearing anybody talk about anti-Asian hate crimes or anti-Asian violence unless they're going to acknowledge what the problem actually is and who is committing almost all of this violence. Because although now, most of the time, and you just heard there, when they when they talk about the anti-Asian violence, they don't come out and say, I mean, sometimes they do, but but especially the Biden administration, they're pretty careful about this. They don't usually come out and say, and she didn't come out and say there that this is due to white supremacy. They don't, they don't directly explicitly make that link, but they don't have to because they've already set the groundwork here, which is that on the left, like anytime they're talking about racism. It's always, it's always white people who are the culprits because according to them, according to critical race theory, it can only be white people. White people are inherently racist according to them and nobody else can be racist. It's impossible by definition, they say. So they don't need to come out and always explicitly make that connection. But that is always the, the, uh, the insinuation. Um, but that is not actually the source of the anti-Asian violence that's happening. Um, in fact, we, we've unfortunately seen many videos of this kind of thing of, of Asian people, often elderly Asian people, elder, elderly Asian women, you know, um, Asian people of all different ages. We've, we've unfortunately seen many videos of, of them being attacked and assaulted. And I'm not aware, and I, I can't, I, I could be wrong, there could be some exceptions to this, but off the top of my head anyway, I can't think of one example where the person committing the assault was white. Because what they don't want to tell you is that in almost every case that you can think of, this is black on Asian violence. That's what it is. And that actually is is somewhat to be expected because there's a long history here of, uh, I guess we would say, tension, especially in our cities between black communities and Asian communities. That's the unspoken of reality that anyone who knows anything about this 
realizes is, is the case, but we don't we don't talk about it. So unless you're going to specifically talk about that problem, which is the source of almost all this violence, then there's no point in talking about it at all. You're not actually trying to solve it, are you? And if you are going to talk about that problem, I don't think you need BTS to come in and uh, and be the spokesman for this. But that's what they did anyway. And um, in fact, we have uh, each member of BTS, and it looks like there's this. This is a, a group. I thought it was just like three or four of them, but this is a, it was like six of them apparently. And they uh, and they they each got up and they they said a few words. So let's listen to one of the BTS guys. Um, you know, address the crowd. 네, 어, 최근 아시아계를 대상으로 한 많은 증오 범죄에 굉장히 놀랍고 또 마음이 안 좋았는데요. 어, 이런 일이 근절되는데 조금이라도 도움이 되고자 오늘 이 자리를 빌어 목소리를 내고자 합니다. Hmm. Actually, I have the translation for that. Um, here it says, uh, he said, I'm sorry for BTS. I am sorry that our music sounds like the Backstreet Boys, but even more boring. I'm sorry that our lyrics are written by a random pop song word generator. We are disbanding in shame. That's what he actually said there. So I was kind of, I wasn't expecting him to say that, but that's according to this translation anyway. It might be a Google translator thing, but that's what it says anyway. Um, and that's that's what BTS, I mean, they brought BTS in to talk about this and they don't, you know, they don't actually speak English. So that's, that's even more of, a, of, a, of an issue of like, why are they going to be the spokesman for this problem? But once again, there's no point in talking about the problem at all unless you're going to talk about the problem and what is actually the source of the problem. All right, let's move to this. Uh, the Daily Wire has this report. Another medical expert is suggesting that current testosterone suppression requirements for athletes is most likely insufficient for evening the playing field between transgender women and biologically female athletes. As part of an exclusive uh, Good Morning America segment on trans woman Leah Thomas, which we played some of that for you yesterday, uh, it, it, there was also an interview with Dr. Michael Joyner, a medical expert with the Mayo Clinic. Um, and the reporter, Juju Chang, questioned Joyner whether years of hormone therapy cannot put trans women in a place to compete with cisgender women. And he said, I think that the evidence so far would suggest that a period of a year, two years, three years, four years is probably insufficient. Joyner also shared his thoughts on testosterone advantages in an interview with the New York Times. He said, quote, you see the divergence immediately as the testosterone surges into the boys. There are dramatic differences in performances. Joyner added, there are social aspects to sport, but physiology and biology underpin it. Testosterone is the 800-pound gorilla, he says. So this is a medical expert because we need to bring in medical experts to chime in on something like this. And, and you know, we live in such an insane culture that for this guy to even say what he just said there, requires actual courage. It actually requires courage for him to, to, to say out loud that, yeah, well, you know, there are biological differences between men and women, and um, you can't just get an injection or take a pill and make that go away. And that's especially the case for somebody like Leah Thomas, who started the hormone suppressing um, a couple of years ago after having already gone through puberty, right? So much of what testosterone is going to do to the body has already been done and you can't reverse it. Um, so that's one of the problems, which 
By the way, it's important to note that, that uh, this is this is not a uh, a pitch for starting the, the the pills earlier. Not at all. It's, this is a pitch for not doing it to anybody at all of any age, especially not kids. But um, even what 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 this uh, what this medical expert neglects to mention also is that testo- he says testosterone is the eight hundred pound gorilla here. Well. Actually, there are there are several 800-pound gorillas. Testosterone is just part of the equation. I mean, even if you were to somehow find a way to equalize the hormones, well, that is only one of the dozens or even really hundreds of physiological differences between men and women. And that's a simple reality. Uh, despite, but of course, what's Leah Thomas's answer to this? We heard his answer yesterday. His answer was that, uh, well, actually he had two answers. His first answer is that, and I forgot to make note of this in the clip, but some people in the comments did, that he said that, uh, well, you know, he's, he's becoming just like a woman because he took the pills and now he's slower and weaker. You see, I'm, I'm just like you, you, you ladies, I'm slow and weak now. But that was part of his answer is, uh, you know, I took some, I'm slow and weak, just like women, he said. And, but then the the real answer that he gave immediately after that was uh, was well I'm happy and so who cares about any of this? Here's a, an article from the website Redux, which does a lot of great uh, reporting, by the way, on the on the trans agenda. Um, it says an inmate at New Jersey's Edna Mahan Correctional Facility for Women is speaking out against the transfer of trans identifying male convicts into the facility. Speaking with Redux, an incarcerated woman. Uh, Myseka Diggs explained that the female inmates in this facility are scared to death of the men. Under the current policy, the men do not keep, need to undergo any surgery, and Diggs asserts that most of the men are not on hormone replacement therapy. So they're putting these men into women's prisons. No surgery required, no hormones required. It could just be, it's just like a, it could be just a bearded dude. Uh, fueled by testosterone, you know, big bulky guy who says, you know what, I'm uh, feeling a bit like a, wo- a woman today. I'd, I'd rather be in the women's prison. And they're going to ship him over. It really is that simple. Maybe they might require that the, the person meets with a counselor and gets the counselor to sign off, but that's just at most a little bit of red tape. That's a symbolic gesture at most because you're going to get the sign off from the counselor. Um, Going back to the article, says she stated that a majority of women incarcerated at the facility have past trauma, with many being victims of male violence, and the presence of men in the facility is causing them severe distress. According to a 2016 report from the Vera Institute of Justice, 86% of incarcerated women have a history of abuse and 77% of a history of experiencing intimate partner violence. Uh, women's rights advocates have described the situation as a sexual abuse to prison pipeline. Diggs said, it's like you're living in an abusive situation. I have anxiety that I never knew about. She explained that she had been visiting the mental health services to address the ways in which the presence of violent men in the women's facility was bringing up her own feelings related to her past. According to Diggs, women who complain of feeling unsafe are placed in protective custody. Diggs said, we can't express our feelings in fear of being put in protective custody, which is like lockup. If you use the wrong words, you'll be uprooted and removed from your living quarters. So many women walk around in fear. We feel like we're part of some sick joke. This is a nightmare that we can't wake up from. The women here are traumatized over and over again, and it seems as if no one cares about our needs. We feel like second-class citizens with no rights. 
this is just, uh, even as someone who made the film What is a Woman and, and, and was, was, as I said, going deep into the depths of gender ideology and sanity, still when I read stories like this, it, is, it still manages to shock me. It's almost unbelievable that we're doing this to women, but we are. You know, taking women who, as the article correctly notes, uh, many of them have, have been sexually abused in the past, and you're locking them in cages with violent men, many of whom have a history of committing sexual abuse. And then if they say anything about it, then they're referred to a psychiatrist because they're the one with the problem. And then they're locked into protective custody, which, which, which means like solitary confinement. It's, it's torture. I mean, this is, this is un, along with everything else, this is unconstitutional. Okay, you have a constitutional right to be free from cruel and unusual punishment. And that's exactly what this is. Taking a woman, and uh, I don't even care what she did. Okay, and also keep in mind that, that many of the women who are in, in, uh, in prisons, like it, it's not like these are all murderers. Right? But even if they are, it doesn't, doesn't matter what they did. Taking her and putting her in a, in, a, in a cage with a man. And if she complains about it, you put her in solitary confinement. That is cruel and unusual punishment. But this is, you know, kind of a, a, a much more severe version of what we heard from the UPenn female swimmer. And that's another clip from What is a Woman that we played on the show yesterday. As Leah Thomas is speaking out about how happy it makes him to be able to race against women and beat them so easily, it makes him very happy. We talked to um, a, a swimmer in the University of Pennsylvania, an actual female swimmer, who felt very differently about it. And she said that when any of the, the women on the team complained about it, they were referred to psychological counseling. Now, they weren't put in solitary confinement. I think we're getting to a point where you know maybe that will be the penalty for any woman who speaks out against this. But uh, no, they were sent to psychological counseling. But it's the same, it's the same sort of thing. Same idea. Where you as a woman, if you have an issue with this, if you feel uncomfortable around a man in a private setting, then you're the crazy one. And, um, and here's the thing. When, when, as we have seen, you know, when, when the world is telling you that you're crazy, um, and that's the message that's hammered into your head over and over and over again, Especially if, as a lot of people are in this country, if you're starting off as a sort of susceptible, vulnerable person, mentally vulnerable, as so many people are, um, then, you know, highly suggestible, right? And that's the message that's pounded into your head. Then after a while, you start to believe it. You're going to start to think, well, maybe I am crazy. I guess uh, I, I guess I am crazy that I don't want to be in a locker room with a man exposing his genitals to me. There's something wrong with me. Um, that's another thing that talking to the, the UPenn swimmer, you know, even talking to her uh, a little bit off, off camera before the cameras were rolling, she was, she was talking about that a little bit too. And, 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 uh, and this is actually a theme that, that I picked up on a lot of the people that we talked to as we, as we went around for what is a woman, especially doing a lot of this man on the street stuff. And, um, you know, you kind of, you, you, people talk about this sort of like inner turmoil where on one hand, they know this is crazy. It doesn't make any sense, but everyone is telling them that 
they're a bigot for feeling this way. And then they start to think, well, am I bigoted? Is there something wrong with me? They start to, they start to question these fundamental truths that they inherently recognize. Um, let's go to here from the Huffington Post. The libs are pretty mad about this. It says, going beyond even the GOP's own platform, Republican Senate candidate J.D. Vance told a Catholic magazine last year that pornography should be banned because it's stopping Americans from getting married and starting families. In an interview with Crisis Magazine, he says, I think the combination of porn, abortion, uh, have uh, basically created a lonely, isolated generation that isn't getting married, they're not having families, and they're actually not even totally sure how to interact with each other. The writer spoke with Vance at a gathering for young conservatives where Vance was a keynote speaker. She wrote that after asking him his own thoughts on porn and birth control and their effects on familial decline, Vance admitted that he wants to outright ban pornography. Um, I got to tell you, I, I like J.D. Vance more and more each time I hear from him. Uh, Vance's campaign didn't provide a comment about his more recent thoughts on porn and how they would factor into his priorities as a senator. In 2016, the GOP in its own official platform declared porn a public health crisis, but stopped short of calling for it to be outlawed completely. Um, and then the, the article goes on. That, that is what, what J.D. Vance actually said, but the article goes from there. Um, obviously mocking him for this. And J.D. Vance was trending on Twitter yesterday and across social media for making these statements about pornography. Um, and I, I just have to reiterate a couple of things. And, and the first is that if you react in shock and horror and anger because somebody is criticizing pornography, then you're only revealing something. Talk about uh, telling on yourself. You're telling on yourself. And you're only revealing that you are a desperate, lonely, porn-addicted person. Because no matter how you feel about banning pornography or the merits of pornography itself, you, you, sh you should be able to have a conversation about it. Okay, you should be able to listen. It's, it's at least, you, you should be able to admit at least that there's nothing crazy about being critical of um, of, a, a, of a situation where, you know, hardcore pornography is available to everyone just by tapping a button on a phone, including children. And so we're raising generations of people, especially boys, but not just boys, who are growing up on hardcore pornography that they start digesting before they even uh, get to the age of puberty. Like it's, it's, you should be able to, no matter how you feel about pornography, you should be able to admit that there is something here worth talking about at least. And if you can't do that, if you can't even have this conversation, if you can't tolerate hearing anyone say anything remotely critical about pornography, then you really need to take a hard look at yourself. Because you are, you are actually a, a prime example as to why this stuff does need to be restricted. And I agree with J.D. Vance, it needs to be banned. But we could start with some restrictions. You know, I'll take some incremental, I'll, I'll be an incrementalist with this, and I'll, I'll take any, any progress in the right direction I will, I will take, and I'll be happy about. I'm not going to be satisfied with it, but let's start, let's start somewhere. Okay, so we could start with pornography by putting some basic restrictions in place to try to protect kids from being exposed to it. And I know that it's not going to be perfect. The kids will still be exposed to it no matter what you do. I understand that. But right now we do nothing 
There is just nothing being done to, to protect kids from this. And the result is that millions of eight-year-old boys are watching the kind of sexual content that, you know, our, our grandparents' generation never would have been exposed to in their entire life, never even would have conceived of. So we've got eight-year-old children being exposed to the kind of degradation and sexual filth that billions of human beings throughout human history up till now never would have encountered ever in their lives. And, and we have eight-year-olds encountering it every day. Um, so we could start by putting some basic restrictions in place to try to protect those kids. And I don't want to hear about, oh, it's the parents, there's nothing. Well, so you're saying we shouldn't do anything. We shouldn't even try? Here's, you know, uh, like back in the old days, when um, if you wanted to look at pornography, you'd go to a you know like you'd go to a gas station and get a magazine off the rack, right? Back in those in those days, well, we, we would have all agreed that you're like if an eight year old kid walks in there and picks up the Playboy magazine and tries to pay for it, the clerk's not gonna like we should legally say it should be the clerk should be legally prevented from actually selling that pornography to the kid. I think like, we should all be able to agree on that. And the same principle should apply to internet pornography. You know, and, and in fact, again, you're not going to stop every kid from being exposed to it, but we could cut down on the problem significantly. There are still lots of kids that we could protect from this for at least a period of time. And how about a law that requires every pornography site to uh, verify ages before you can access the site. And there are lots of different ways to do that. And I'm not just talking about clicking, yes, I'm over the age of 18. But the thing is, even that, most of these sites don't even do that. They don't have anything. There's no, there's no filtration system put in place. But there, but there, there's you could do more than that. You could require, you know, identification of some kind. I mean, there's lots that you could do. That won't permanently stop kids from from uh, accessing it, but make it a lot harder to do. And there is just no reasonable argument against it, because any other industry that produces content that we all ostensibly agree should not be given to kids in any other industry, we require them to verify ages before they give that, whatever it is, whatever the product is, before they give the product to kids. We require them to check the ages first. That's the case with alcohol, tobacco, uh, physical pornography. It's still the case. And yet with internet pornography, if you even suggest that similar rules should be put in place, people start losing their minds over it. Because the fact is there are a lot of grown adults in this country who it's it's not it's not as though they actively want kids to be exposed to this, but they care so much about the ease of access for themselves that they're willing to corrupt millions of kids. Like the corruption of millions of kids is worth it to them if it means that they will not be slightly inconvenienced in their pursuit of finding masturbation material. That's the attitude of, of actual adults in this country. It's sickening. And if that's your attitude, then you got to just really look deeply within yourself. Recently, 
my producer McKenna, oh goody, was on vacation. And when she went to pick up her rental car, the car stalled out and died right in the lot. The owner of the vehicle began complaining about how much it would cost to take it in to get repaired. So she told the owner to go check out Rock Auto. Wait, isn't this a rental car? And the owner of the vehicle is... I'm getting lost in the plot here. But anyway, the point is that eventually they ended up at rockauto.com for the best prices uh, when it comes to auto parts. Rockauto.com has everything you need to fix up your car with parts for every make or model there. And uh, everything is at a reliably low price. You can rest assured that they aren't upcharging you if you're not a professional repairman. They charge the same price for professionals and and do-it-yourselfers as well. All you have to do is quickly find your car in their massive catalog and Rock Auto will give you a list of every part available for your vehicle, just like McKenna did in that fake story. Included with the part descriptions are photos and specs so you can feel confident you're choosing the correct parts for your car. For some parts, Rock Auto even has detailed instructions and videos from the manufacturer showing how to install the part yourself. Go to rockauto.com for your auto part needs today and write Walsh in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know that I'm the one that sent you. That's rockauto.com to shop for your auto part needs today. All right, let's get to the comment section. Who makes a Twitter mob fly off the handle with rage? Who's to blame? It's a sweet baby gang. Um, let's see. McKinsey says, McKinsey. Let's see. M-A-K-I-N-Z-Y-E. McKinsey? McKinsey? Like, you have to, see, you, you, you have to spell your names normally. See, this, this is a real problem. This is, it's not my fault that I mispronounce everybody's name. Anyway, whatever this person's name is. Hey, Matt, I went into Kohl's today for the first time in a while. Upon walking in, I noticed a pride flag hanging in the middle of the walkway, and below was a display of clothing items and other accessories for Pride Month. One shirt even said, ask me about my pronouns. It's disgusting how they're trying to normalize this. SBG for life. Um, yeah, it's, it's, that's why I said, I mean, literally every corporation, every major corporation has bought fully into this. And, you know, it would come as a surprise maybe to younger people, but um, this, it was not always like this. Right. It's, it's not like 10 years ago, if you went into Kohl's, they would have banners up advocating biblical marriage. No, it's just like they just didn't say anything about it. And Kohl's just they sold clothing and that's what they did. So this is a pretty this is a pretty new phenomenon. Where every major corporation is now in the business of promoting certain uh, sexual lifestyles. But that speaks again to the immense privilege of uh, being a member of the LGBT club in this country. Let's see. Uh, Maximilian says, Matt is right. Like my grandfather says, if you buy quality, you only cry once. So buy a subscription to the Daily Wire. And that is a great, this is a great grandfather, grandfatherly saying. You know, I, I never knew either of my grandfathers because they both died uh, when, my, when my parents were kids. So I never had a grandfather to give that kind of grandfatherly advice, but uh, that's a good one. And especially if it leads you to buying a subscription to Daily Wire, then definitely listen to your, listen to your grandfather on that one. Terry says, um, I'm such a good Matt Walsh fan that I ran his show on YouTube every day on mute so I could listen to the Johnny Depp trial and Matt would still get credit for the views. That's a, This is a tough one. This is a moral quandary. Because like, by all rights, I feel like I should ban you from the show. Because you're playing, you're, you're muting me, you're you're silencing my voice, which is strike number one. Strike number two, 
is that you're doing this for the sake of the Johnny Depp trial. But on the other hand, you are giving me the views and, and that's what really matters. So I, I don't know. I got to think about this. The jury's out. I have not delivered my verdict yet, Terry, on whether or not you're banned from the show. Um, another comment says, Matt, you should have addressed that the drag queen was going by the name of Jackie Cox. I'm not an expert, but even I understand that's a play on words and certainly not appropriate to have him around children. Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't mention that, but that's, that's something I have mentioned many times in the past. Like, If, if you need more evidence that um, drag is not for children and that is it's inherently sexual, then which... If you know what it is and you've seen any image of a drag queen, you probably shouldn't. You, you don't need more evidence. But if you did, then the stage names that these people take oftentimes make it explicitly clear what, what's going on here. This is that this is, in fact, sexual. Um, and let's see. And the final comment says, Cool Papa J Magic says that you should get some Sweet Baby on Board stickers in the DW store. Thought you'd actually read this if you thought it was from Cool Papa J Magic. Uh, Sweet Baby on Board stickers. I, I actually love that idea. That's a, that's a great idea. And uh, you know what? We will, we will do that. In fact, we are going to do it. We're doing it right now. Go to dailywire.com right now. Go to the, the merch store and you can buy those stickers. You see how easy this is? Your wish is my command. You have a great idea, and we execute it on the spot. I have actually have no idea how we're going to execute it that quickly, but apparently we are. So go to dailywire.com, go to the store, and uh, get those stickers right now. Yeah, we also have these, uh, by the way, I should mention again, these aprons, which are on sale, which, um, you know, and I think just in time for Pride Month, because it is important, like Kohl's is doing in their stores. We just heard in a comment, you know, giving people your pronouns. And so if you want an apron which says that you identify as chef and chef self, then go to the Daily Wire store now and get those aprons. As you have uh, heard by now, uh, tonight is the world premiere of our new film, What is a Woman? It starts tonight. Well, we have our backstage night at 8 p.m. Eastern, which will lead into the film. By the way, it's a, it's a backstage conversation. I mean, the film itself, you want to tune in for that, but uh, the backstage conversation is also going to be fascinating because there's, it's just a, it is a, there's a lot to say about this film and about the issue, so I expect a really interesting conversation there. But um, you have to be a Daily Wire member if you want to see the film itself. And, uh, and I and I will tell you right now that you do want to see it. This is a film people are going to be talking about. Um, I think that it's an, it's an important film, and it's something that could have a real impact on the culture. But people have to see it first, which means that you have to become a subscriber. And you can do that by going to whatiswoman.com. And if you'd go right now to whatiswoman.com, you get your membership right now. You get 25% off. And uh, like I told you yesterday, we cannot make content like this without you guys. Um, I mean, literally, if we didn't have you, if we didn't have the subscribers, then this film wouldn't exist. All the great content that we've put out and we have coming up this month in particular and going forward wouldn't exist without you and your support. So go to whatiswoman.com right now. Get signed up for 25% off. Tell all your friends, share it, and I'll see you tonight at 8 o'clock. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. There are two things we can always count on. The first is that Disney will keep churning out Star Wars content until the end of time. There could be an apocalyptic, you know, asteroid strike that destroys all life on Earth except cockroaches and bacteria, and yet still somehow they'd find a way to release a new Star Wars spin-off series. For the unrighteous, even death cannot save you, as I'm quite certain that they have Star Wars playing on a loop in hell. At least, if I go to hell, that's going to be my hell. I'm, I'm quite certain of it. The other inevitability... Um, so routine and frequent that we can set our watches by it, is that Hollywood actresses will pretend to be traumatized by mild criticism. 
So those are the two things. And sometimes these two phenomena will merge, combining their powers to create a sort of megazord of cringe. And that's what's happened with the actress Moses Ingram, who, though her parents apparently named her Moses, is indeed a female. She's also black, and she stars as a villain in the new Obi-Wan Kenobi TV series. Because, of course, even though the original Star Wars characters were mostly one-dimensional and poorly written, uh, they all, for some reason, need their own shows to flesh out their incredibly uninteresting backstories. Ingram's villain, I'm told by the site Screen Rant, is named Reva Savander slash Third Sister. Not sure what that means exactly. I'm also confused by this part of the, of the same Screen Rant article, which says, quote, With her role on Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ingram truly is breaking new ground for the Star Wars franchise. She'll stand among uh, one of the few female villains and also one of the few women of color with a prominent role. Ingram's determination to give children of color a character they can see themselves in is admirable and also demonstrates just how important representation is. Wait a second. So we want black children to see themselves in the villain of the story? Is racial equity among supervillains really important? Have young minority children suffered some sort of deprivation due to a lack of evil fictional character representation? Apparently so. But evidently, not all of the Star Wars fans are appreciative of this new character or of the fact that Disney is worried about including characters just for the sake of racial representation. Some of these fans have reportedly sent some unpleasant messages to Ingram herself, who was Johnny on the spot with the victimization narrative. I mean, she was ready to go. As soon as those first few messages came in, she was ready. And so she posted an Instagram video sharing a few pieces of the hate mail, which, if real, I read, I read them and um, the ones that she provided. And if they're real, they're, they're rude, sure, but they're not even close to the level of hate mail that somebody like myself receives on a daily basis. Nonetheless, Ingram um, showed the hate mail and then gave this response. Let's... Long story short, um, there are hundreds of those. Hundreds. Um, and I also see those of you out there who put on a cake for me, and that really does mean the world to me because, you know, there's nothing anybody can do about this. There's nothing anybody can do to stop this hate. And so I question what my purpose is and even being here in front of you saying that this is happening I don't really know. I don't really know. Um, but I think the thing that bothers me is that like sort of this feeling that I've had inside of myself, which no one has told me, but this feeling of like, I just got to shut up and take it. You know, I just kind of got to grind and bear it. Um, and I'm not built like that. So <laughs> I really just wanted to come on, I think, and say thank you to the people who show up for me in the comments and the places that I'm not going to put myself. And um, to the rest of y'all, y'all weird. <laughs> now, you know, there was a time when celebrities would get a bit of hate mail. You know, they've always gotten hate mail. Anybody in the public eye has always gotten hate mail. And they would just move on with their lives. They didn't feel the need to give it the time of day. If you're a Hollywood actress, it's pretty much guaranteed that 99.999% of the communication you receive on a daily basis will consist of fawning praise. But why say anything at all about the 0.0001% exception? Well, because everybody's looking to be a victim, even and especially Hollywood actresses. And everybody surrounding the actress is looking to be a white knight 
virtue signaling. Like Ewan McGregor, the star of Obi-Wan Kenobi, who recorded this message of support. Listen. It seems that some of the fan base from this influential fan base have decided to attack Moses Ingram online and send her the most horrendous racist DMs. And I heard some of them this morning and it just broke my heart. Moses is a brilliant actor. She's a brilliant woman. And she's absolutely amazing in this series. Well, first of all, Ewan McGregor doesn't know the first thing about car videos. And this is, this is a, an actor. Terrible cinematography there compared to at least what, what you got from me back in the old days. Did it really break your heart, though, Ewan, really? I mean, we, we just had a school shooting in Texas where 19 children were slaughtered, but you had time to feel heartbroken because an actress got a few mean DMs? The official Star Wars Twitter account got in on the action, too, posting this. We're proud to welcome Moses Ingram to the Star Wars family and excited for Reva's story to unfold. If anybody intends to make her feel in any way unwelcome, we have only one thing to say. We resist. There are more than 20 million sentient species in the Star Wars galaxy. Don't choose to be a racist. So brave, so bold. Disney will edit their movies to appease to the Chinese market, but when it comes to standing up against a smattering of random Twitter accounts, they're downright courageous. Admirable. Although the interesting thing here is that under this tweet from the Star Wars account, lots of actual Star Wars fans are publicly explaining why they don't like Ingram's character. And it has nothing to do with race, it turns out. According to these fans, the character is poorly written, poorly acted, unlikable, and is a kind of Mary Sue character who can do anything and possesses arbitrary powers that exist as plot devices more than anything else. Now, I haven't seen the show, and I never will see it, so I don't know if these criticisms are valid. I strongly suspect they are, but I don't know. I do know, though, that these are the criticisms, because I can read, and Disney can read, too. In fact, Disney knows that it created yet another lame, uninteresting, unlikable, terrible character, and it knows that fans will hate her, and it has planned ahead of time to create this racism narrative. Which brings me to the real point, which is this. Please stop watching this stuff. Stop watching Star Wars. The people creating this content hate you. They will insult you to your face. They call you racist. I mean, that's the, that's the guy, the star of the show. Oh, the racist fan base. That's how they feel about you. They set up these traps so that they can virtue signal off of your dislike of the crappy characters they create. Now, look, it would be one thing if the people behind Star Wars hated you and yet still put out great content and told worthwhile stories and exhibited artistic brilliance. Okay, if the films and shows were high quality, then I could even see why you might be motivated to ignore their politics and watch anyway. Okay, I could, I could even, I could, I could see that. Potentially. But the content is garbage. They insult you not only by insulting you, but also by feeding you slop. None of the Star Wars content for the past two decades was made because the people making it really felt that these stories needed to be told. It all simply exists to expand the brand and earn money. That's the only reason. The Star Wars story has been told. They finished telling it in 1983. There's nothing else to tell. Nothing else to say. And yet they keep talking. Why? Because you'll pay for it. Now, it's true that every film is supposed to make money. Um, everybody in the entertainment business wants to make money. But with Disney and Star Wars, not to mention most superhero films, the money is the first, last, and only consideration. It's literally the only reason any of this exists. 
or continues existing. This isn't art, it's marketing. These aren't films, they're commercials. They're not made by artists, they're made by teams of corporate drones. Oh, oh, but the Star Wars universe is so big, you say. There are so many stories in the Star Wars universe. No, it isn't that big, apparently, because it's been repeating itself for 40 years. Do you know what is big? Um, The actual universe. There are infinite stories to tell in the universe. You could even tell stories about people in space shooting laser beams at each other. I got no problem with that. I I like those kinds of stories. It doesn't have to have the Star Wars label on it, though. But they stick with that label because it makes money. And again, for no other reason. So it's time to end the cycle. Stop letting these people disrespect you. Drop Star Wars. Drop Disney. Subscribe to The Daily Wire instead. And don't miss the world premiere of my new film, What is a Woman, tonight at 8 p.m. You have no choice now anyway, because Star Wars is officially, once and for all, canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Talk to you tonight at our backstage premiere of the film. And uh, until then, Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2022. The New York Times admits that conservatives are right about transgenderism. A Chicago high school establishes a race-based grading system. And Hillary's crook lawyer gets off the hook for lying to the FBI. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.